0: 111 degrees, (laughs) amazing experiences at restaurant after restaurant, misery punctuated by bursts of joy at the craps table, and a growing community of wonderful people who, for reasons best known to themselves, all share the same weird passion for the same outrageous city. This could only have been a weekend in Las Vegas. talking to chefs, and sometimes lawyers, but always to people who love food. You're listening to the Chefdemoni Podcast. Here's your host, Graham McLennan. Wow, it is nice to be out of the heat. Welcome back. I'm Graham, and this is Chefdemoni, my podcast about food. On the show, I talk to chefs and food-loving lawyers just because I've done both of those jobs over the years and those are the people that I know, and often the conversations I have with my guests happen in or about or via some remote digital connection to Las Vegas. Today's interview is most definitely in Las Vegas. I recorded it last weekend when I was in town to attend Vegas Vacation 11, an excellent event put on by my friends Mark, Karen, and Tony. From the 360 Vegas podcast. The interview is coming up soon. It's with Chef Brian Howard of the amazing Sparrow and Wolf in Las Vegas. You've heard me mention that place before, particularly in the recent Snapshot episode called A Snapshot of Paradise, Nevada. Brian also appeared earlier on Chef Timony on episode 34 when I reached out to chefs around the world at the start of the pandemic. Now, in addition to Sparrow and Wolf, chef is opening a new concept called half bird chicken and beer it really does sound great and you will hear all about it soon before we get there though a quick trip report on just some of the highlights from vegas vacation 11 first before anything else thanks to karen tony and mark for organizing such a great event I've put on my share of charity fundraising dinners in the past, and I know what event planning takes. It is exhausting and and generally thankless, so here's at least one very enthusiastic thank you. B and I and our friend Stu, we had a fantastic time, and that's all because of your efforts. So, to all three of you, thank you. It was so great to meet up with other podcasters. We made some new friends, and we had a whole lot of fun. Very quickly, thanks to Scott from Vital Vegas. My friend, thank you for doing what you do for the city that we all love. Try not to let the nonsense get you down and know that a whole lot of people, including me, really appreciate your podcast, your Twitter account, everything that you do for the Las Vegas community. Tim from The Better Life, it was so great to meet you. I hope that we can roll the dice together someday soon. Michael Traeger from Travels Orc, my goodness this guy knows how to Vegas. For anyone who thinks I spend too much time and energy on and in Las Vegas, I refer you directly to Michael. I am not sure that he slept on his many days in town. Michael always seemed to be on the move and always seemed to be at the tables. It was so fun to spend some time together, Michael, and I hope that you're having an amazing time in Vietnam as I record this. Pennies for Vegas. Thanks to Twitter, I feel like we've met, but thanks to Vegas and to crazy schedules in Vegas, of course we did not. So next time. And that goes for Lacey, the Las Vegas gal as well, at least on this trip. So here's to the next trip when hopefully I will have a few more days in town and we can meet again. And Julian, how wonderful to meet you. Julian is the host of the Vegas Confessions podcast and YouTube channel. And long-time listeners will remember Julian from episodes 22 and 55 of Chef Demony. He is a podcaster, a serious Vegas enthusiast, and a chef. He is also one of the absolute nicest sounding people I've ever heard, to the point that I wondered, once I finally met him, if he could possibly be that nice in person. Well, I'm here to report that he can. Julian is open, genuine, friendly, and super helpful. He loves Las Vegas... And he wants to share that passion with others. So thank you, Jay, for all that you do. I can't wait until we can hang out together again. Chris and Josh from the Crap Vegas podcast, I'm sorry we didn't meet on this trip. I did, however, just hear your trip report on episode three of your show, and it sounds like you had a fantastic time. For any Chef Timoni listeners looking for more Vegas-themed and especially gambling-focused content, check out Crap Vegas. It's a great new show. All right, on to the food. After we landed, which was at about 12 noon, we went directly to Lotus of Siam for lunch. My friends Stu, Lisa, and Sean were all on the same flight with me and my wife B, so we made a table of five and we had a feast. We had the garlic prawns, crispy rice, we had duck in curry, which was one of the few dishes in this northern Thai restaurant that has coconut milk. It was incredible. The beef tartare, again, was amazing the sticky rice and mango for dessert outstanding again it was amazing all around penny and her team did it again thank you for another amazing experience for more detail on lotus of siam check out episode 58 of the podcast you will hear from ceo penny direct from a table in the restaurant we had dinner the same night at Edio Tapas. Again, amazing restaurant. We had beautiful Spanish food served in this super cozy room. Although I must say this, if you haven't been to Las Vegas or haven't ventured off the strip, know that pretty much everything in Las Vegas is in a strip mall. It starts to feel normal after a while, but at first I have to say that going to excellent restaurants in strip malls was a surprising, incongruous experience. So just know before you go. We had, though, an, a really outstanding dinner at Edio Tapas. We started with Peruvian scallops. We moved on to eggs and caviar served in the eggshell. That was spectacular. We had a tuna carpaccio, wild mushroom risotto. We had some stuffed squash blossoms, then beef cheeks. It was all served with beautiful wine, really well curated. The service was excellent. The food was excellent, and it set the tone really well for our evening. We kicked on after dinner to the Neon Museum, which, if you're ever in Vegas, I highly recommend, particularly if you have an interest in the history of the city. Brunch. We did an excellent brunch at Esther's Kitchen in the Arts District, and that actually is also where we stayed. We were—so the the Arts District is in this area between the Strip, so it's north of the Strip— And it is south of downtown, or Fremont Street, as it's often called as well, which is part of downtown. Sometimes it's called Old Vegas. Anyway, the Arts District, up-and-coming area between the Strip and downtown. We stayed in the English Hotel, it's called. It's a new property in the Tribute lineup by Marriott, and it was excellent. Boutique property, only 74 rooms, so check-in was fast and easy. The rooms were small, but really nicely appointed. And we were always the only people at the, admittedly small, but at the pool. It was a great pool area. Small, but again, sort of boutique nicely set up, and not crowded at all. It was lovely. Compared to trying to navigate a multi-thousand-room strip casino, this place was a breeze. Or, or an oasis, I suppose. Probably an oasis, given where we were in the blinding heat of the Mojave Desert. Wow, it was hot. But, back to the food in the Arts District and Esther's. This is by Chef James Trees, and really it is a fantastic spot. B had her favourite dish there, which is the polenta with eggs and mushrooms and cheese. Simple dish, but fantastic, and Esther's is, at its heart, an Italian kitchen. I had the chicken parm sandwich. It was good, but I have to say that I liked bee's dish more. And our friend Stu had a couple of their sourdough toast options. They have a serious sourdough program. They make some beautiful bread. One of the toast options came with smoked trout and veggies. The other was avocado toast with radish. Both were excellent. And we enjoyed all of that food with some spicy Bloody Marys while I wondered yet again why Americans don't make Caesars. Actually, Here is a pro tip for Canadians visiting visiting Vegas. They do make an excellent Caesar at the bar at Bouchon in the Venetian. So if you're there and you're feeling homesick, there you go. And for my American friends wondering what I'm talking about, come visit us here in Canada. I will mix you up a fantastic Caesar. Okay, the interview. Brian Howard has built a very impressive career and a very impressive business in Las Vegas. You've heard me talk before about Sparrow and Wolf. Honestly, just go there if you're going to be in Las Vegas. But today you will hear about Brian's newest latest venture, Halfbird. We also walk through some of his early experiences in Las Vegas and just what he's trying to create in his spaces for his customers, for his employees, and for the community and here again an interview uh, which is an example of why i love the culinary community so much the hospitality world so much brian responded right away to my last minute text which was basically hey i'm in town i'd love to do an interview and he invited me out to half bird so thank you chef as always for your time let's get to it now this is on the scene at the not yet open half bird in las vegas nevada and here's my talk with chef brian howard All right, we are here with Chef Brian Howard. We are at Half Bird Beer and Chicken in Las Vegas, almost opening. And I've got a bunch of questions for you, Chef, about this place. But let's start a little further back. We met for the first time in November of 2019. I remember that specifically because we uh, that was our last trip pre-COVID. And we went to Scotch 80 Prime for dinner where Daniel... Monteveros was the exec chef at the time. You kindly bought us some great drinks after dinner. We met in the bar there. So Daniel, I know from Bouchon back in the day, and it seems to me so many of the chefs that, that I know in Vegas, there's a Bouchon connection, and, and I, I think I know you have one too. So can you, can you start there and walk sure. us through your, your yeah, early yeah. days in Vegas?
1: Uh, well, uh, I came to Vegas in 2000 just after high school. Uh worked in a, a little mob ran Italian place up on the on the strip that no longer exists and uh, you know it was a, Las Vegas was a different time at that point. Um, went on from there I worked in a uh kind of a French nouveau French slash sushi slash nightclub that is uh sits where uh the aria sits now. Okay. You know. Yeah. Um, and that but, was just that was an independent property? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. It was one of the first kind of like nightclubs to bring like real big DJs into town and things like that but they were serving like really off the wall like Nouvelle French cuisine right so I had an opportunity to work with some good chefs there and kind of follow them around and made my way to the Venetian and uh, worked in a uh, pan-Asian restaurant called Tsunami Asian Grill where I started to learn how to use a wok and you know flavors indigenous to all of Southeast Asia which you know I found my love for uh, that type of cuisine and I also met my wife there Oh, she was working there. I didn't yeah. know that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, from there, I went on to a place called Lutess, which was Andre Sultner's kind of second home state, but the Vegas operation, which was high in French. And after that, I set out to open up uh, Bouchon, and uh, that was in 2004. So I opened Bouchon. I spent five years with the company, working there, worked my way into a sous-chef position there, and... Um, learn a ton about foundation and learn a, learn a lot about awareness sense of urgency and kind of all the staples that i have carried on throughout my cuisine or throughout my career with uh, the people that i teach and lead now let's see after bouchon i went and spent some time with carrie simon i was opened a restaurant of his called cat house which is more of like a, a french bordello style vibe dining at the time and a couple of his other restaurants in atlantic city and uh whatnot but uh after that, where I met John Anthony, my business partner currently, which was in about 2008, I believe, 9. At a place called New Sanctuary. Some doctors had coerced us to leave Gat House and put our names on the, you know, as the face of the restaurant. And it was an opportunity that kind of got my name out into the city. That okay. was kind of my first place where I, I put my foot down and like, you know, made a stamp in Las Vegas. We got notoriety for what we were doing. Let's see... I spent some time with André Richat after that at Elysée. I never made it to Elysée, but that's like classic French, right? Yeah, very classic, uh, yet uh, a little bit modern for its time. Um, You know, they were able to secure one star up there uh, when Michelin was in town. You know, but I learned a ton of real foundational French cooking. Obviously, a lot of my career has been focused on that, but uh, more on the high end, you know, uh, and worked for an incredible chef, Jacques Van Staden, up there. Yeah, and then it, then after uh, after that, I'm trying to think. Uh, I opened Comsa, I no, I didn't open it, but I came came after uh, the, just after a month after the opening, and opened up the restaurant called on the Cosmopolitan, for David Myers, another French brasserie, which was in my wheelhouse, and uh, yeah. you know became the executive chef there, and then worked with him for a couple of years, and became corporate executive chef for his company for a while, and ran his restaurants, and then I realized that you know at that point I. Had made a really solid name for myself in the town and I was kind of uh not bored with the food in Las Vegas but I felt like everybody was kind of cooking the same way or the same ingredients and uh I was either gonna I always had a gold open my first restaurant by 35 I think at the time I was about 33 and I said I'm either gonna leave the city and go somewhere where food's a little bit more contemporary and progressive or else I'm gonna do my own thing and you know, people coerce are like, you've, you've spent so much time here establishing your name. Why would you leave? Yeah. Go do your own thing. So we set out to open a restaurant. You know, no matter what, I'm going to open a restaurant. I went back to uh, the first place that I that I was in love with. I wanted to be in this neighborhood all along just because I've been eating in this neighborhood for 20 years. And I realized that I could cook the way that I wanted to here not be kind of pigeonholed to tourist market or right. whatever, you know. And uh, it would be supported. Uh, there was no... There's no real American restaurants in this street at all at that time. And really, the off-strip scene hadn't really popped yet. And we were kind of the first to kind of pave the way to, like, set the tone for what you could do off-strip. Yeah. And we were able to make a deal there. And five years later, here we are. We're opening up our second concept, half-brewed chicken and beer. Just just before we get there, Chef, I want to ask you a couple more questions about Sparrow and
0: Wolf. What, maybe 500 meters from here? We're pretty close. Yeah, we're we're about a mile down the road. Okay. Here are a couple of things that come to my mind. One's a, one's a quote from your website. Cuisine influenced by culturally diverse neighborhoods. And so talk about that. You've already mentioned we've talked about French we've talked about Asian influences. That's really what I see a, a lot of at Sparrow Sure, But what's yeah. going on?
1: Well, the cuisine is meant to be inspired cuisine, right? We're not reinventing the wheel. We're not trying to do anything too far outside the box. We're trying to do things that you're comfortable with to some degree, but yet turn the dial with the flavor profiles You know, sometimes we, uh, I don't really like the term fusion, but, you know, we do a, uh, it's been bastardized so much over the years, do a great version of what fusion is, right, where we can look at taking, uh, you know, influence, obviously foundational cooking from French cuisine, but then intertwine flavors from Japan and Thailand and, you know, Morocco or wherever we're feeling at the time, you know, you'll see, uh, depending on where we're at with the menu, but, you know, being inspired by everything right and not coloring in the lines to some degree but yet making sure that it's cohesive and it works and it's smart and it reads well and it eats well you know and it isn't confusion right right, right. yes so you know but that's that's kind of what we do at Sproul Wolf you know it's it's really that uh it was always meant to be this neighborhood joint you know and it's grown into something much more now i mean we're you know, we get people from all over the world there every day. I mean, we're 60% of our, our guests now are from elsewhere.
0: That's interesting. You know? I was going to ask you that because it seems to me, I consider it in part because I come
1: from out of town, but a destination restaurant and totally are a destination restaurant now and and it's great because we've established ourselves. that you know i mean people are sourcing us out and you know coming to see us It's, it's an amazing feeling because i never thought that was what we were going to do yeah you know i figured if we were lucky we'd be uh you know steering to the local market all the time and i opened up with uh you know the prices that i opened up with for god i'd probably be out of business now if i kept them and uh You know, we didn't have a wine over $100 on the menu, and our guests demanded more, right? They wanted more. They wanted more experience. They wanted tasty menus. They wanted all these other things, and it's kind of where we are today with it, you know? Uh, And it's year five, so it's the legacy year, you know? It's like I tell my staff, it's like this year determines everything in a sense where people have to understand you're not asleep at the wheel. You're still continuing to push and evolve, and that you're getting better every day, right? right? You're not just driving the boat because it's there right and uh, that's kind of where we're at like this year is about pushing our, ourselves our, our company and uh, taking all the risks right that we can you know to grow let me ask
0: you about a couple of specific dishes because we were there in April had the tasting menu chef Travis came out and chatted with us for a bit which was great Nick your wine director was our server so our, you know our experience was absolutely top-notch here's what I see going on in some of your dishes generally i guess there seems to and foundational is a word you've used so there seems to be a foundational component and so the two that i'm thinking of there was a hamachi tartare that i think of as the foundational ingredient there right the tuna but then a lot going on there was grilled jalapeno smoked roe a bit of avocado and a cracker somehow made out of quinoa and it all like that could sound confusing that could sound like a lot going on but i loved it it all came together so well so
1: is that a good representative dish of what you're doing? Yeah, it's interesting because it's it's like um, you know I was down in uh, Tulum um, in June last June, and I the use of habanero and the use of peppers with raw fish dishes and grilled onions and overly charred items kind of inspired me to um, bring that back and, and you know incorporate that. You know, the French me wants to serve raw shallots and lemon zest and lemon oil and, you know, things like that into the raw hamachi or maybe just a little bit of soy sauce and, you know, keep it very simple and light with Japanese ingredients. But this was cool because we took, you know, the hamachi and treated it like you would uh, fine toro tartare and chopped it really, really fine, and but infused this kind of Mexican inspiration of grilling onions and jalapenos over the wood fire and folding them in and then kind of circled back with the use of uh, puffed rice nori and tapioca and the chips and the use of the avocado so yeah it's kind of this Japanese Mexican inspired tartar it's
0: fantastic and there was another the other dish I want to ask you about is the dessert and I often say on my podcast when I'm not a huge sweets fan but then your restaurant uh, in particular in recent visits, Proves me a liar on that point. So this was the Japanese milk bread. Mm-hmm. Again, simple because it was seared somehow to this sticky caramelization, and then with berries and uh, and so some is vanilla what you ice cream. Get
1: when you ask me to create pastries, because I'm not a pastry chef, you know I have a very <laughs> basic level of understanding of custards and ice cream making and things of that nature. But being in the neighborhood, we talk about being inspired cuisine, right? You go to any of these little izakayas around this you're going to get honey toast. Honey toast is this classic Japanese dessert that will hollow out the inside of milk bread, rub a bunch of butter in it, bake it, and then stuff it with a bunch of vanilla ice cream and honey. So we wanted to do something that was inspired by that, but yet our own version. So you know, we make the milk bread in-house. One of my favorite things, French toast, we soak it in custard. You know, and then cook it in the custard and then caramelize the top with uh, sugar like you would a creme brulee, so you get that hard crack.
0: Yes. Okay, and I was then, wondering how you did that. So you actually treated it like creme brulee. Exactly. So there's a torch going on.
1: Hundred percent, yeah. yeah. Okay. And then the ice cream changes depending on the season and the obviously the fruit that goes along with it changes depending on the season as well and what we're doing at the time. So right now you'll see stone fruits and they'll usually be compressed in some type of syrup or cooked in some some, some fashion, but that kind of changes. It's one of those things I've wanted to take off the menu forever because I'm just tired of looking at it. But it's one of those things that my guests would be like, you're crazy. They'll right. probably, uh, you know, hang me out to dry if I did something like that.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Before we move into a few questions about Half bird, where we're standing right now, one last question, maybe one last question, about Sparrow and Wolf. And this is something I've seen on Instagram, and it's team rallies. Maybe it's an affirmation. What, what goes on before service,
1: and, and why do you do what you sure. do? It has to be more than a restaurant, right? It's it's one we, one we spend most of our days with uh, our team members. I don't, you know, I can teach them how to cook and show up to work and do all that stuff. But for me, that's like, there's so much more that goes on beyond that, right? And we've got, one, mental health, physical health, all these things that take place every day where, you know, even more so is now such a big focus. Uh, we need to do our parts. You know, if I was told when I was a cook that, I could purchase a house if I would have just stopped spending all the money in the bar every night, you know, or right. if I could have, you know, I mean, especially yeah. in a town like this where most of the cooks, they, you know, at least in my generation of cooks too, it's getting better, I see, but we would work, we were pirates, you know, you work, you go to the bar, you drink till six in the morning and you go back and you do it again. Now, so it's like, okay, you don't realize like, well, you know, our, our kitchens have, tipped, they have insurance, they have vacation time, they have 401k coming, right? We want to do the things that will retain talent because there's always a salary cap or, you know, someone that's going to pay you more or offer you a different experience. Well, I want to offer you a lifestyle, right? We teach them, we have a real estate broker actually coming to speak to them on how take the first steps, right? Because that's your first big investment, right? Yes. Where you realize, like, I can actually make some money on this or or do something and own something, have an asset. But on top of that, we include, you know, Alyssa's been doing the daily affirmations, right? Make sure that you, you, you feel good. I mean, these are the techniques that I use, right? I meditate four to five times a week, right? I have to. It's non-negotiable for me. Like, it's the way that I manage my anxiety and my stress, right? Like, there's no longer, like, carrying the weight of all these things that you have to do in a day, it's teaching them to break it down into real impactful things that you can do every day. Instead yeah. of writing this long laundry list of, like, this is what I have to do. And yeah, we have those. <laughs> of course, you've got a prep list. Right? They're yeah. scary. right? So look at four things that you can do. And not, I'm not talking about food, but just four impactful things that you can do in your life every day. right? And for me, it's like, okay, what are the most big, important things that I have to do today? If I've got 130 emails that come to my inbox every day, not everybody's going to get responded to. Some people might be next week, but it's all prioritization, right? And it, it all goes to managing, especially in this time. There's a, I hear the word anxiety more than I've ever heard in my lifetime. So let's help them manage the anxiety, especially after the pandemic, I think was a, a big thing for a lot of people, uh, even for myself included. And it's, you know, I'm tired of, uh, you know, uh, losing people. Uh, we lose a lot of good people, and not just in our industry, but if we can make impact uh, in a positive way, we do Wednesday Wisdoms, you know, and we talk about, you know, different different ways that you can just better yourself, right? And try to if we can influence one person, two people, which we're doing more now. I mean, we're 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 seeing it change. We're seeing the change. Go out and do something healthy. Wake up. When I was a cook, I slept till two o'clock or one o'clock whenever I had to, an hour before I had to go to work and then I went to work and then I did it again Right. now I make sure that I seize the day because you don't know what's going to happen
0: yeah you, right.
1: you, you don't know what's coming next and I know you've had some tragedy
0: in uh, your community in Las Vegas recently so it's, it's good to see that, uh, that awareness and the practical steps that's hopefully going to keep people healthier I hope
1: so you know I know nonetheless it, it sets us apart from a lot of other restaurants in a way that you know we actually give a shit about you right? You're not a number. You're not a cog. You know, we, we want to take care of you, you know, and and we want you to be around with us and grow with us. You know, that's the big thing. Yeah. it's Wonderful. Okay. I don't want to take too
0: much more of your time, chef, but I do have to ask you about half bird. So we are standing now. I'm going to snap a few pictures, if you'll allow me just to, because I want to show where we're at and then I can't wait to come back once you're open. Yeah. But it sounds like there's a lot going on. I've seen references at least to rotisserie We talked a little bit about that before we started recording, so I want to ask you about that. But I also see things like chicken nuggets. I see uh, a chicken Cuban sandwich, all based on pasture-raised, free-range, beyond organic chickens.
1: So there's a lot going on. So, well, I mean, it's my, you know, working at Bouchon. I spent five years roasting chickens every day. Every day. Every day. There's something special about the simplicity about getting a good quality bird, treating it well with a brine, and then simply roasting it right so it's cooked right everybody's doing hot chicken concepts they're all over the place or fried chicken or, or whatever there needs to be a level up there needs to be an awareness about like this is my fa- this is my ode to fast food right but it's better for you it's good for you you feel good eating it right so I hope that we have a hundred of these ones today I mean I'm putting billboards up that say drop the chick and get the bird right behind Chick-fil-A <laughs> seriously good for you. like you know let's let's know what we're serving our guests is good It's responsibly sourced you know, so we know where we, we start with that, right? And I think people are tired of paying you know, I mean, you know, for fast food that's crap. It it really is shit. Yeah. You yeah. know, and you when you, you see what terrible. what what's going into it. So yeah. that's the first part of what we do. I'm not again, we're not doing anything I could have got really chefy with this, yeah. right? And I didn't. I was like, What what is tried and true and has lasted for generations? We're taking those items but we're making them really good. We have a fried chicken sandwich, but it's great chicken. It's really great product. You know, the flours that we don't use, they're not bleached. They're not, you know, they're they're really good flours. So everything starts there with the ingredients. And then we just turn the dial a little bit, right? So you'll see the influences of Southeast Asia a little bit within our sauce program. You may have Green Curry Ranch. You may have a Sichuan. We do a hot chicken, but it's not Nashville, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's Sichuan. So we do a... You're uh, so going to get that nice numbing. The numbingness, yeah. yeah. So, you know, you'll we layer it with green curry ranch. We dip it in a Sichuan oil uh, that's laced with, like, fried garlic and fried shallots. And wow. so you get all that kind of crunchiness on top of it. And, um, you know, the, the nugs are special. You know, those are something that... Uh, Uh, chef tony worked on for a long time that you know i love a good chicken nugget right and and it's probably the one of the most honest things that mcdonald's does because when you go to french cuisine it's it's a farce it's a chicken farce right so you understand it to some degree but you know this is really just about having good quality meat and good seasoning you know we'll add a little bit of togarashi and black pepper and things like that uh we use a little bit of koji in the brine which is something that's not being done no that's gonna be big umami um and that's it, you know. In the, uh, you know, you'll see broccoli, Rob coming off the rotisserie, and sweet potatoes, and, and uh, you know, we do rotisserie fries that cook an hour and a half underneath the chickens, and oh. they're basted in the chicken fat, and we top them with like a, a, a miso gravy and a little bit of furikake. So, it's stuff that you know, you recognize it, but then the flavors are just again, it's just like what I do with my food. It's turn the dial a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah.
0: Tell, tell us physically mechanically about the rotisserie that so rotisserie was cool.
1: cool you know so when we when we set out to do this project we wanted i was looking at the french rotosols the chain uh, rotisseries or even wood fired rotisseries but i realized there's so many variables that came down to the person that's u- using them the machine that if i want to do a hundred of these i needed to do something that eliminated the variables and i reached out to alto sham because i've used their products uh their combi ovens in the past and we we talked about it i mean this is it's essentially like the tesla of rotisserie so it's pre-programmed i mean all they have to do is load it hit a button it already knows the time the temperature the humidity the resting time everything's done for them dialed in uh and then if we have multiple outlets i can change the recipe from anywhere in the world from my computer and it'll just distribute itself Without even having to talk to anybody, right? Just out of the cloud, and then it cleans itself for itself. You know what I mean? So it washes it, and it looks great every night. You know, yeah. so it eliminates the labor that goes into it. it it's a, it's having a genius in the room, right? You know, so not everybody has to be the smartest guy in the room. That thing will do it for you. Awesome. You know?
0: Where are where are you sourcing your beers that are that are going to go along with this? Because this is insane.
1: all of so yeah. everything local, and in, in, in every market that we put one of these in, we're, we're planning on putting five of these in Las Vegas, and then we'll yeah. branch out into the Southwest. Uh, will all be based on the local markets with the exception of our house beer who's uh, being made by Huddle down on Main Street. It's called Cockfight. It's really cool. It's it's the half bird chicken and beer house beer. We're doing 16 ounce cans of that and that'll be available for retail as well. For retail as well. That is awesome. It's a cool program. We we have a full, everything's canned, so we have canned cocktails. We have uh, mules and margaritas and uh, whatnot. That'll kind of change based on the the feeling or what what we're feeling at the time. Red and white wine. We found a really good producer with Rickshaw and doing canned wine. Uh, and then we're sha- serving champagne splits with red solo cups. You know, it's a, awesome. a bucket. Yeah. You know, it's kind of the, you know, a little bit of my upbringing. It's going kind to of keep it a little bit of dirty and still classy at the same time, you know?
0: Yeah. That is going to be fantastic. And And you've clearly put thought into
1: replicating this, right? So the canned program that's easy to roll yeah. out. And Everything is meant to be consistent yeah. right the mac and cheese is really cool my son Bricks I, actually yes, wrote, wrote the recipe you. for that yeah tell um, us about that
0: it's got some spam or something it what's does. going on so when,
1: when we wrote the menu I was going over it with Bricks and, he, uh, and he's like you don't have mac and cheese and I'm like you're right and I'm like I don't think we're going to do mac and cheese like every fast food joint that serves chicken has mac and cheese he's like you, you have to have mac and cheese people like mac and cheese and I'm like okay well what would you do He's like, well of course I'd put crispy spam And I'm like, he's seven, seven, by the way. And I'm like, okay, well, that's interesting. And I'm not a big Spam fan. I make good pate. So, you know, but, uh, you know, my wife's Cantonese and, and, you know, they've grown up on it. So it is a household staple for us. But he's like, yeah, he made it, you know, and then he was like crispy Spam in there. We made a really good cheesy sauce. And then he went to the cupboard and got some uh, Nori out and put it on top. And I'm like, okay, so we just kind of like took those elements that he brought and then we made them really good and we you know yeah. we do a ratatouille pasta and we do a little bit of nori breadcrumbs and you know it's it's what you know again but you know little, little, a little bit, bit fun a little different that's yeah.
0: awesome well listen chef thank you so much for taking the time for meeting up i uh, can't wait to come back and and
1: visit you again once you're open thank you man and uh you know stay tuned we've got the window outside just gonna be chicken after dark so okay. that'll be open until 2 a.m we'll be serving uh you know uh chicken fat fried donuts after 9 p.m out of the window you know, once we're done frying chicken for the day, we'll make some donuts in there and stuff like that. So it's it's, it's a fun, it's a cool level up brand. It's definitely going to bring something new to uh, the community. So i excited. Thanks for your time, man.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Chicken fat fried donuts. Are you kidding me? As though I needed another excuse to return to Las Vegas. Chef Brian Howard, thank you, my friend, for taking the time in the midst of a restaurant build, in the midst of a busy day. I really appreciate it, and I can't wait to return to Halfbird when you're up and running. Okay, some quick housekeeping before we go. From Las Vegas to Cuba, by way of a few days in my hometown of Thunder Bay. We are on the road again this week, and back in the country in early July. I'm told we may not have much in the way of cell reception or Wi-Fi when we're in Cuba. So if you reach out either by email or social media, I apologize in advance if there's a delay before you hear back from me. But please do reach out if you've got a question or a comment for the show, perhaps a guest suggestion or a topic idea. Do get in touch. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Those are all at Chef Demony. And actually now TikTok as well. <laughs> I have I've uploaded two TikToks. So it's, it's a brave new world. You can find me at Chefdemony there as well. On LinkedIn, you can find me under my name, Graham McLennan, and you can always send an email to graham at chefdemony.com. If you are enjoying the show, please tell a food-loving friend about it and please rate, review, and subscribe to Chefdemony wherever it is that you listen. All right, that is it for today. That is all for episode 61. Thank you for being here. I'm Graham McLennan, And I'll see you again soon, right here on Chef Timoney.